my mantra is that in order to grow, you have to be uncomfortable. So right. if I don't have an uncomfortable situation in a day, I'm like, oh, dang it. Like I did not <laughs> do anything so I can prove myself because right. you need those like weird situations where you're kind of uncomfortable because you're either learning something or you're growing. Hey everyone, welcome to the Power of Why podcast. This is an interview style show that talks to leaders who are purpose-driven. I started to notice a pattern amongst folks who are fulfilled and lived in alignment. They walk different, they know why they spend time doing their work, and they are fueled by impact. I am super excited for you to listen and delve into this episode. You know, I'm so blown away by my guest's big vision, hard work, and how she is unapologetically herself. Her name is Kelway Moarin, and she lives in the incredible city of New York, working full-time while also growing a tech-enabled custom suit company for driven millennial women. You know, Kelway stands firmly on her vision and doesn't shy away from challenges. And one of my favorite lines from this episode was when she said, vision without actual action is just daydreaming. And so, you know, through her story and through her experiences, I really want you to listen to some of the you know, challenges and um, the words from naysayers that she heard and what her mindset was to respond. Not to respond to them, but to respond to herself, right? And if this is something that's difficult and hard, you know, someone needs to figure it out, right? And she says to herself, why not me? And so what are we waiting for? Let's dive right in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 24 of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Haile, and today I am here with the amazing Kewa Morarin. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm super pumped to have you on the episode to share your story and, and talk about building this incredible company um, really geared around um, custom suits for women. I'll start by introducing you, and then I'd love for you to talk about your origin story and kind of how you grew up and everything that came before starting on this entrepreneurial journey. Okay, great. Um, so Kewe holds a degree in finance from the University of Texas. Uh, she spent some time studying fashion in Milan for seven months. And this will tie back to kind of, you know, some of the skills that had helped her build this business. At 19 years of age, Kewa started working in the finance industry, truly expecting to build a career in investment banking. You navigated your career in this industry, and it was interesting, like doing some research about you and the different articles um, written about your story, um, you mentioned that it was quite difficult being, you know, one of the very few, you know, as a woman of color in a very male-dominated um, field. And so um, in an interview with CNBC, you said, quote, one person that I always look to is, is the female MD managing director um, that I had at Credit Suisse. You mentioned, I thought about all the obstacles that she faced to get to where she was and kind of used that as a driving force for me to keep pushing past any type of criticism or any type of obstacle that I have to really reach my goals and accomplish what I've come here to do. In 2017, you got your business off the ground, you started saving up your bonuses, and you really put yourself in a position to juggle both working full-time and, and starting up this new venture. Um, Kewe loves to travel. She loves to find the best spots for authentic food. And you're currently, um, you know, working hard to, to sustain this incredible business. So thank you for, again for being here. 
And I'd love for you to talk about your origin story and what really came before you started on this entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for that intro. Um, so it's really funny because before Covium, a lot of the decisions I made were very unintentional. So going to the mm. University of Texas was kind of a last minute decision. I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go and it seemed like an okay option. So I decided to do it. Business was like the first major that you could pick on the list. And <laughs> I, was so I was like, oh, like, let me do this. And I eventually loved it and it really worked out for me. But even making the decision to do investment banking wasn't something that I truly think was intentional. It was just a really great paying job in finance. So I decided to do it. And that's why I think I hold Covium so dear to me because it was the first time in my career that I actually felt a pull and I felt like I made a real choice in my life to do it. But mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for the experiences that I had getting there because it's really shaped the way that I built the company. For instance, Going to school in Austin was amazing because there were a lot of startups there and yeah. it really helped me think of how to not just create a brand, but also create a tech enabled brand and really expanded my network in um, the tech space. And then of course, like coming from investment banking, working 80 to 100 hours a week, I learned hard work really, really quickly. And that's been something that has really been a great driving force for me as I built the business because it's given me the skill set that I needed to juggle doing Covium, but also maintaining a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And during, yeah, so you worked in a lot of different industries. You worked in finance, you worked in the tech space as well, correct? Yep. Yep. And I did startup. Yeah. And then how long did you kind of spend in your doing, you know, full-time gig before you eventually moved full-time into Covium? So I'm still not full time with Covium. Actually, I now um, are doing. I now I'm doing strategic finance at Etsy. So that's okay. a decision that I'm probably going to make later on this year as the business grows, and I really do need to devote a hundred percent of my time to it. But what's great about it is that I can really expand on my creative side by working on Covium. But during the daytime, you know, ten to six, I can learn other skills at Etsy. So at Etsy, I'm learning a lot of like operational skills and what a business looks like kind of like as a teenager because Etsy has been mm -hmm. around for 13 years. So it really helps me um, realize decisions that I need to make now for Covium so that when it is a 13-year-old company, that it will be set up for success. Mm -hmm. And what have you found some of the because you've gained a lot of skills in different industries and you've been able to kind of use that, leverage it, turn it into kind of your own when building up this new um, company called Kevium. So what were some of the really, like the critical and the crucial skills when it came to, you know, transferable ones that, you've, that you're currently using now in your business? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing I learned and probably the most impactful lesson was um, Actually, there were two. So the first one I learned when I was um, studying abroad in Milan, mm -hmm. I, um, there was a presentation from 
one of the guys who was on the private equity team that had purchased Valentino, and he was talking about how sometimes it's really difficult for creatives to develop a business because you're trying to put something great out into the world and making money kind of becomes secondary to that. Mm-hmm. So I was super intrigued by that. I asked him to get coffee afterwards and talk to him a little bit more, and it really shaped my mindset going into the business. Like, yes, I'm making suits and I'm trying to do something better for the world, but in order for this to have any kind of continuity, there has to be some kind of profitability about it. And so that's been huge in every decision I make. Um, If you look at the Kovia marketing strategy, there aren't like a bunch of Instagram or Facebook ads. Like I'm very intentional about where my customers are coming from and don't like throw money into advertising channels just because they're cool if that's not where my customers are. And then I think the second lesson I really learned when I was at um, 11 James, that was a startup that I was at um, before Etsy that eventually wound down, was how important knowing your marketing channels are. Right. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of these direct-to-consumer companies um, that have been founded over the last 10 years, like everyone puts money into Facebook, um, Instagram, and like all these different marketing channels kind of just like doing the spray and pray model, hoping (laughs) that like one of those would work. But that's why the failure rate is super, super high because you just can't sustain a business by spending that much money in unprofitable channels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what's great about um, Covium being bootstrapped is it's my money. So I'm like more cautious about it and make sure that whatever I'm doing kind of has like the best return I can get. Mm -hmm. So what does, yeah, like very intentional spend, what does, in terms of doing the research behind where your customers are and what platforms slash mediums, channels um, are going to be the most effective when reaching them, how did you go around experimenting? Yeah, so one thing is I am my target market, so it's a lot easier for me because I started thinking, okay, if I was going to buy a suit and it's in the back of my mind, like where would I go to and trust the source? So LinkedIn is a huge one. It's a very um, unusual place to do advertising and an unusual place to post because it's just not highly utilized, but it's great for suit business because people are already are kind of in that professional mindset and are looking for new things on LinkedIn. So that's been amazing. And then just press because this company appeals to business women, high-powered women, women who are freelancers, women who are just like hungry for information. And what publications are they reading? Are they reading Vogue, Teen Vogue, CNBC? They go do they watch cheddar and reviews, those kind of things. So just thinking about myself, like, okay, where am I consuming information and targeting those areas? Mm-hmm. And I did see that just looking into the company more and, and the work that you're doing, so much press. And it was a lot of very intentional press too. Like the story, even the storytelling within, um, you know, that the journalists kind of put together. It was very deep into to your story and, and the why behind your brand as well. And I, and I think that resonates definitely. It resonated with me. Your story definitely resonated <laughs> with me. I would love to dig into the why behind your brand and for you to tell from your perspective. What was the, what was the one moment that really changed or sparked this idea for you? 
Yeah, so I vividly remember I had a client meeting in Las Vegas and I was like super tired, like banking was driving me crazy. So I went out and I just bought a suit and I didn't really like think about it. Like I wear a certain size, so I just went and purchased that suit and I didn't try it on, got on the plane, wore it to the client site the next day and I was so uncomfortable. The skirt was super tight, the jacket fit well, but the sleeves were very short because I have extremely long arms. It was just a very uncomfortable experience and I remember looking around at the rest of the conference room, all filled with men, all comfortably seated in their suits that fit them perfectly. And I just got angry. I was like, what is this? Like, I am just as equal as everybody else in this room. And yet I have this like one obstacle that makes me feel uncomfortable in every situation. Like, I feel like in order to level the playing field, I have to be comfortable in what I'm wearing. And honestly speaking, I think it was like a month later, it was when I got my first bespoke suit because I was just like, I'm tired of this. Yeah. And I started thinking, okay, like there are other women that are definitely facing this issue. Started asking like a lot of the people um, who are also in banking or in similar industries. And it was just an echo. Like everyone kept saying the same thing. So I thought, okay, why don't I just start this? If no one else is going to do it, why don't I try? Like I heard so much chatter about like how difficult it is designing for women because like there are so many body types. And I thought, you know what? It just sounds like excuses. Let me just try and see where this goes. So that's definitely my why, like making sure women don't face the same like discomfort that I felt for so long. Mm -hmm. But the last thing that I want to think about is my clothing, right? And how it fits or... And when it comes to even like confidence building, I think that's a huge, is it, is that a huge driver for you as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's so funny, like how much our clothing influences, how we feel, how we speak, how we act. And when that's one less thing to worry about, it really does honestly just change your life. You don't have to think about when you pull the suit out of the closet oh like I'm gonna have to constantly like pull down the sleeves so it doesn't look too short it's like you can devote your entire attention to the task at hand instead of just such a menial thing you know what I'm saying yeah and it really just makes you feel so much better mm-hmm. so you mentioned a bespoke suit um but when you came in like were you one of the first people to try on uh, the Covium suit as well? Like, you, did you get a custom fitting for yourself and wear it to the office before you put it on sale? Yeah, yeah. So uh, when I first got mine, I didn't have the intention of, like, making a huge business out of it or anything like that. Yeah. I wore it around the office, and it was actually the millennial suit. So it was that magenta suit. And yeah. I'm in investment banking at the time. Everyone wears, like, black and black. blue yeah. and I remember so many heads were turning all my friends were like oh my gosh like I love that color like it's professional like you can still wear it in the office but it's fun it fits super well and I remember strutting around like feeling like the best thing ever and after that I was like you know what like everyone should feel this great let me build something about this it was really a game changer eh? and for you to experience that first like on a very personal level and that desire and and drive to want that for other women as well is incredible and it's and i think that's the reason why your your business is doing so well right you mentioned previously that there was 
a lot of chatter around how difficult it would be to, to build this business up. That there were a lot of different, you know, body types for women and all these things that you heard from other folks. Did you have like any self-doubt or uncertainty while building? And if your answer is yes, like what kept you pushing? Yeah, so I did receive that a lot, especially from veterans in the industry. They're like, oh, like we tried that. It doesn't work. Don't waste your time or, or it's really expensive or, you know, it's just like there are too many variations. It's all everything that you could possibly hear. And for me, it's just my personality that like when p- people tell me something like that, it, it just doesn't resonate. It's more of like, oh, that's just an excuse. That's just an excuse. Like somebody has to accomplish this at some point. So why Why not me? me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It has to be done at some point. There's no problem in my mind that can't be figured out. So why not? And I honestly think that's based on one personality, but two coming from that banking background, you're always trying to find like a creative way to structure a deal or value a company and whenever you're posed with a problem the answer can never be I don't know you have to figure it out and that's how I approach Cobium as well like yeah this is a hard problem to solve but <laughs> there has to be an answer somewhere and even now like I'm still iterating on that you know like measurements are difficult for some women to take so um, developing ways for um, to increase accuracy and stuff like that but it's still like getting closer and closer to solving the problem instead of just abandoning it. Right. And that's probably a drive in and of itself, right? Refining, getting closer to this. Yeah. This being, I mean, like lives are being changed and I definitely see it as being a game changer in the workplace just by the way that you're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very evident on, in like the repeat purchase rate, a lot of clients, they get their first one and then they just like, go crazy and keep buying more because it's like, oh, finally, like something that fits me properly or finally something that works in my workplace because not all the clients are bankers and lawyers. Some of them are like freelance copywriters that want a fun suit to wear to client meetings and they don't want to go to Ann Taylor and buy something in black or gray. Like they want a fun color. Mm -hmm. So it's finally a solution that they feel is catered to them. Mm -hmm. And did this, what, what, so it's been about, three years right yeah and so what I I really love to to look at how the company has evolved like at the beginning uh what were some of the things like what did the company look like at the beginning when you were first grinding what did your MVP look like and what were some of the first things that you started refining like you mentioned that your company is tech enabled so what does what does that mean and what does that look like at the beginning as well yeah, so it's funny because the first year and a half, I, I like to say Cobram is not really three years old. It's like a year and a half old. So the first year and a half was just finding a tailor that actually specialized in women's suits. And for that, I had to fly all the way to Bangkok, um, you know, talk to a lot of different tailors, like see a lot of really disappointing suits until I finally found an amazing tailor that I'm still working with that not only knew how to make women's suits, but that was his actual specialty. And that was something that I was unwilling to compromise. So that took forever. And that was probably the reason why everyone was telling me like, it's just too hard because it really mm. was extremely difficult. But you know, I eventually found one. So after that, it was developing the website and 
it's hilarious like thinking back and even looking at it now it's still like it's very crude like mvp stage but um I have very, very little tech knowledge because I'm a finance person. And I thought, you know what, like, let me just try and build a website myself. So the original website was on Squarespace, which is great for like um, content websites, but not amazing for a retailer or a company that has a lot of like traffic or sales. Mm -hmm. And I remember when the Teen Vogue article came out, I was like scared. I was like, ah, like a lot of people are coming <laughs> to this website and yeah. like I built based on like my HTML knowledge like I was super scared that it was going to just like, fall apart so uh, that was kind of like the fun growing pains of that super early stages you're kind of doing like things just to get by and right. hoping for the best but it's almost like I'm addicted to that right now like that's why I love working at such a young company working on such a young company as well is that every day when you're doing something there is so much risk involved but the reward when it is successful it just feels amazing it's like i built that and it works mm -hmm. and people are on board right like you have a tribe of people who believe in what you're doing so the reason i started the podcast was to talk about the importance of being clear on your why and the importance of self-awareness as well when it comes to knowing the work that is going to fill you up essentially and so for you like how important is being self-aware when it when it comes to being fulfilled and being purpose-driven because even the way that you the way that you talk about um, your own experiences moving from different industries you highlight certain characteristics as being you know your personality or things that you love and um, have developed over the years um, can you please talk about self-awareness and, and what you're process has been around that building your self-awareness muscles yeah so self-awareness is something that I'm super passionate about um like I think being introspective is an invaluable skill that a lot of people don't really try to hone in on so for me after every experience after every big milestone I try to like look at myself like what did I learn what mm -hmm. Um, can I do to go from here to grow? So a great example is when I was working at the startup Eleven James, and it wound down. That was my first time like being at a company that was shutting down. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? Like this is so new to me, and that was a point for me to take a look. Like, okay, like did I learn enough to keep progressing with Covian? Yes. Okay. What are my blind spots? Oh, like I'm coming from a finance background. I don't have as much knowledge of the fashion space or supply chain space. What can I do to perfect that? So what I started doing was surrounding myself with advisors. So people who had worked for mm. other large fashion brands to kind of like um, help me and help me develop in those areas that are a lot weaker. So self-awareness to me is like knowing my strengths and also knowing my weaknesses and doing something about it. Mm -hmm. Being clear and intentional about what that looks like, the map. And in terms of identifying those blind spots, what about friends, like support network? Um, can you speak to maybe their influence on, on helping you along that journey. I remember, and the reason I asked this um, is because I remember in, in school, I took a leadership class. And one of the exercises that we did like the first day, really to, to speak on the whole self-awareness thing, was doing a 360 review. 
So we had uh, colleagues, we had our friends, we had our family um, identify kind of like a, a SWOT analysis of, of our, ourselves. And to get that feedback, like, you know, feedback from people who see us in a work setting, at home, in our personal lives, was really eye-opening because, like, these are oftentimes not conversations that you have. Like, oh, what are my strengths or my weaknesses or rooms for opportunity to grow and what are some things that I can definitely work on in the future? Um, but like, can you speak to your support network and your friends and how, you know, if that was an impact at all in honing in? Your self-awareness muscles yeah it definitely was and just in general I'm a very very blunt person like I just kind of tell it like it is and I feel yeah. like because I'm like that my friends are like that to me as well and it's amazing because when I think back and look at the advice that I've gotten from friends and from family I start to see like a lot of pitfalls that I avoided because I listen to them so when they tell mm. me like oh like this is a great idea, but you don't have this skill set. Have you thought about like asking somebody else or, oh, like your, I don't know, marketing is to focus on this or that. Like just identifying those pain points and not being um, wishy-washy or sugarcoating it is amazing and something that I truly, truly value in the people that I surround myself with. My mom was also like that, just like very blunt and yeah. I really appreciate that. And in order to kind of work in the startup space, you have to have a thick skin and can't get insulted by like everything that you hear that you don't like. So once you start to kind of love that feedback, I feel like it's great for your development, not only for yourself, but also like in the relationships that you have because it's just out there. It's open communication. Mm -hmm. With your team, for example, with your boss, with your yeah with other colleagues but how do you get to that space where you're able like from you personal experiences how how did you get to that space where you were comfortable with hearing that feedback as it was and not taking offense to it yeah I think once again it just goes back to banking because you can't you get a lot of unsolicited feedback as I like to say it it's just solicited yeah you're it's a high stress environment like people snap all the time like right you something and you have two options either like you cry about it or you learn from the experience you take the feedback kind of like filter out the anger or like the emotion, emotion. behind what they said and take like the root of it and move forward and honestly speaking if you don't do that you're not going to be successful in the field so that's why I really really appreciate having that background because it taught me not only like a lot of financial skills but a lot of soft skills as well so because of that, it's just like the emotion kind of bounces off. And then I think, okay, what are you really trying to say? And like, right. that. and also just like realizing that not all feedback is good feedback. So having kind of like an internal true north, like knowing who yourself, who you are and knowing like where you want to go and um, looking at any feedback you get through that lens. Like if this does not actually um, make me progress in the direction that I've chosen, then I don't need to accept it. Mm -hmm. I don't need to let it hold me back either. Yeah, right? yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I can imagine the amount of time efficiencies and being able to quickly kind of put those into buckets, right? That's the way that's when you were describing it, that's visually what I saw is 
you know, you're receiving some sort of feedback or criticism or um, something happened at work. And because you know yourself and because you've done the work and you kind of gain experience in that, in that being in that high pressure environment, you're able to use what you can and, and throw out what doesn't serve you and just move on, right? Take that and, and be able to move on. Yeah, I think the way I like to look at everything in life is that what's the worst that can happen? Like if someone yells at you or someone like tells you something that like hurts your feeling, your feelings are hurt, but there's so many other things that you have to look forward to that you just can't let that get you down. And I also like, I just love efficiency. So I hate wasted time (laughs) feeling bad about what someone said. Like, they said that thing and error my feelings or whatever, but now I'm wasting time dwelling on it. Like, let me move past this. Mm-hmm. What yeah. do you say about learning moments though? Like there, um, you know, just speaking as a woman of color, there are definitely instances where um, comments will be made, microaggressions at the office. And if there is an opportunity, I'd love to hear your feedback on this. If there is an opportunity for a learning moment for someone, they had you know misstepped or miscommunicated um what is your criteria for saying okay I, this is my time to speak up because what this person said is is wrong or ill-intended um versus just kind of you know brushing it off your shoulder and moving on yeah for me i look at it okay is my response validated, first of all. So in any situation like that, I almost rarely never say anything back. Usually I'm just like, oh, thank you for the feedback. And then if I really want to say something, I'll come back later because I like to also reflect your emotion. Yeah, strip emotion from like what I'm saying because just like responding with emotion to something said with emotion never works out. Right. And I always like I value open communication and like clear feedback. So I would say most of the times if someone says something that has hurt me or like some kind of microaggression or something that insulted me, I will say something about it and just trying to show them why I'm seeing it that way and also being open to understanding things from their point of view if that's actually not the way that they meant it. So in the workplace, this happens like so much just with people coming from from backgrounds and if someone says something that like I find insulting I'll go back and be like hey like remember when you said this like that mm-hmm. actually made me feel this way because of these things like my background or like yeah. the work that I put into it or whatever it is and I'll say like in the future would you mind doing this like instead just offering up a solution so it's not mm-hmm. it's also not like I'm just saying it without right. any solution in mind because that is kind of pointless to me like you just have to put forward a resolution rather mm-hmm. people Right. And I think that's, that's valuable for both parties involved, right? I mean, I had a similar, <laughs> similar instance happen to me a few weeks ago. And it was, I think a lot can, can transpire around miscommunication, right? Like a lot of assumptions. And I think assumptions can be very dangerous, because you, you we never have the full picture and things tend to be very gray. And so your ability to just come level-headed and say, this is how it made me feel, and I'm not too sure where you're coming from, but I'd love to hear, you know, exactly what you meant in that moment. 
Um, yeah, I think one of my most used saying is to be clear, to be clear, <laughs> like I try to like repeat stuff back to people to make sure that like I'm getting the ethos and pathos of what you're saying and making sure that there's like no misunderstanding before right. we go our separate ways because right. it's just really difficult to amend those things sometimes because if you do hurt the person, like if they're really, really hurt by it, that may just like spoil your relationship. So I'm always like, to be clear, it's not that. <laughs> I like that preventative, very preventative. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that because it's not, it's definitely not an easy conversation to have. Like it can be very uncomfortable, but I think in a lot of cases it is necessary, especially when we do have the voice to use it and to know how to use it too. Yeah. And I totally maintain, like my mantra is that in order to grow, you have have to be uncomfortable so right. if I don't have an uncomfortable situation in a day I'm like oh dang it like I did not <laughs> do anything to I can prove myself because right. you need those like weird situations where you're kind of uncomfortable because you're either learning something or you're growing right. so right. I don't mind it too much I agree I completely agree and it becomes easier just like yeah. self-awareness these things are muscles using your voice is a muscle <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it definitely becomes easier the more you the more you do it. I'd love for you to delve into what um what living life on pur- living life on purpose means to you, Kawe. Yeah, so that's also something that's just really important to me. I guess the way that I think of it is like what is my true north um, mm-hmm. in every aspect, both like spiritually, both like health wise, both business wise, like just having a purpose and an end goal in mind. And maybe even like not, I don't want to say end goal because that's too definitive. Like a but like a, yeah, a vision or a direction is mm-hmm. so important. So even from as simple as like health, like I hate going to the gym and like there's nothing worse than that in my life like I just hate it so I keep thinking okay like what is my true north in this aspect of health like I want to live a long life and I don't want to have any illnesses so what am I going to do I'm going to have to like push myself to actually work out and like push myself to eat healthy and just like having that end goal in mind I'm not just eating healthy to eat healthy or lose weight like I'm eating healthy to have a long life to be able to like see my grandchildren and like be able to be mobile down the line is really important to me and that's how I think about every single aspect of my life like with faith like what does like the end of the road look like what do I want to have um, for me at the end of my life when I look back on things with the business like what do I want Covium in 10 years to look like am I doing what needs to be done now in order for that to happen because to me like vision without actual action is just daydreaming like I actually have to do things to get closer and closer to attaining that purpose Mm -hmm. and understanding what that purpose is is the thing that drives you right like because it's going to be even around all these different elements of life that you mentioned um, you're going to face challenges and obstacles along your way and I think it's like so beautiful to have that true true north as you mentioned true north north star you know, grand vision that you're working towards as the thing that keeps you pushing, right? Yeah, I wouldn't even know how someone could stay motivated without that (laughs) because you would just get steered in so many different directions if you didn't have like a focus. Mm -hmm. And I'd love you to to talk, to tie that back with Covium. Um, When it comes to 
that vision that you have set for the company, like where you see it in 10, 20, 30 years, um, how has that informed your decision-making in the now today? Yeah. So uh, the grand vision for Covium is to be a destination for custom clothing for women. So when a woman wants something that fits, no matter what it is, like a pair of jeans, she wants shoes, like whatever it is, Covium is her place to go. And the true north for that is that I want women to just feel comfortable and empowered. And that is evident in the marketing and the way I talk to clients. Like I never try to be like pedantic or um, just like make them feel childish. Cause I feel like a lot of like woman centric marketing is like super pink and super girly. And it's just like not as, um, like serious as some of the marketing mm-hmm. that you see for men. So just like keeping in mind that the whole purpose of this is empowering and uplifting other women is what I think about as my true north and why and how that like defines everything I do on a day to day with COVID. Right. right. And it, when it comes to making decisions around what activities um, or what things you will say yes or no to, how do you filter that? Cause sometimes like sometimes I find people um, have difficulty saying no to opportunities that may seem glitz and glam, great for the short term, but doesn't feed into that long-term vision. So with choosing how you will spend your time, what are some of the criteria that you go through when it comes to making those decisions? Yeah, I think a huge one has been men's suiting. I get this question like all the time, like, oh, like, when are you going to do men's? Are you going to expand it to men's? I'm like, ah, the whole point of this is to empower women. Like, I'm not going to divide my focus into also helping build out a men's brand when there's an underserved group of women. So that's been, um, like, one thing that I've constantly said no to, and I will probably say no for the rest of my life, just because, (laughs) like, until women are fully served, there's no reason for me to divert my attention. So it's really like if it falls into the theme of empowering women, I'm all for it. So even like when we partner with um, the American Cancer Society, we generally do like breast cancer um, fundraising or um, the American Heart Association doing like the uh, runway shows for the women, just like mm-hmm. make the playing field just a little a little more level like there's enough going against women like why not have someone or a company that's like actively fighting to help balance things Mm -hmm. I love the love the work that you're doing um (laughs) I'd love for you to touch on before we uh dive into the final questions of the interview what's your advice for for people who are struggling to start doing the work that they want to do like you have a full-time gig right now that you're working on and you're siphoning skills from it um, to feed into your business. Um, but I know like a lot of people have ideas. Like earlier you mentioned that grand vision, but not being able to kind of like execute today and um, right now to actually see that through. So like what are some things that you would, you would say to people who are struggling to start? 
Yeah, I think I saw on Twitter like a couple of years ago, like Beyonce also has 24 hours in there. <laughs> and it's like a stupid quote, but it really resonated with me. Like, okay, she's accomplishing so much in one day and I have the exact same amount of time. So why don't I like be more efficient with my time? So I literally like sat down and this just shows how much of a math nerd I am. And I saw like, okay, and I'm spending say 90 weeks in banking there are this many hours or sorry 90 hours a week in banking there are this many hours in a week I'm sleeping this much okay what am I doing with this like extra two to three hours a day yeah Mm -hmm. like it seems so silly like I was probably watching Netflix or doing something like really silly I thought okay what if I actively devote that to one thing even if it's a tiny amount of time a day how much progress could I get like how much time would that accumulate in a year so thinking about things in that like scheme you don't just to do something you don't have to quit your job tomorrow and like go start doing something huge you can start small as long as you one maintain that purpose maintain that vision but also um just realize that like if you don't start you'll never finish Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like you just have to just do it and not I think a huge thing is just not caring what other people say when I was quitting banking and going to a startup it's like very very atypical you know um, a lot of people in banking mostly go into private equity or growth equity a lot of um, these like big financial institutions where they're making a crazy amount of money and when I quit to go to a startup people are like oh like <laughs> what you're doing like why are you doing that it was just looking like, at you sideways <laughs> yeah yeah it was a lot of like cockeyed look and uh I just had to just ignore it yeah. you know thinking okay like I know who I am and that's right. way more important than what other people think I am so I'm just going to go for this but it is really really difficult like you know meeting up with those people later on and you're like oh like should I tell them that I'm starting this company like what if it fails and they laugh at me and after all it's just like you know what I don't care like how much can that negative feedback really hurt me so let me just like leave my life and just do whatever I want on your own terms right and I love that you touched on this because I think this is probably like one of the most important kind of beliefs or mindsets to have, not comparing yourself for one, like not comparing yourself to other people, but also tuning out the noise because there's a lot of it. Yeah. (laughs) And I think when you're, when you're able to, to do that and it might not be perfect all the time, but just the speed, right? Like you're able to do things without, like with momentum and without hesitating or like, you know, second guessing yourself, even though that might be part of the journey. Um, I think it's so much easier when you're just like aligned, you know, you know yeah. yourself, you see where you're going and it's these things around you are really just noise, right? Yeah, for sure. And that was probably the biggest hurdle for me. Cause it, it, I don't know, like before I started this company, I really did care like, what my peers thought about me. Like, I'm really blunt, so, like, my friends are really blunt, so they were really open about, like, what they thought. And it was really difficult to do something that I knew they wouldn't really... Um, understand? Yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. they wouldn't really understand. But I think, you know, you just get to a point, you're like, oh, am I really going to let this hold me back? Like, 
I'm sure every other influential person has had people say like, mm-hmm. don't do that. And they still did it. So why don't I just follow that pattern instead of what other people are telling me? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's so incredible to read bi- biographies because you see like everything in the background of what built up these incredible influencers, right? And like people oh, like yeah. Oprah and Michelle Obama. Um, the one thing that is so poignant for me, like when I am ever feel like I'm hesitating or like I don't want to do something because I'm, I'm fearful for what other people are going to say is like I just picture myself 80, 90 years old, looking back and thinking like, Naomi, what if you had done that thing? What if you had started that venture? What if you had started that project or just done things on your own terms? How could your life have been? That's so huge. And once again, it ties back to the whole purpose, do more thing. Like yeah. you want to live a fulfilled life or is the thing that you want to do going to lead you closer to that? If yes, then do it. And who cares what anyone says? And if not, then maybe it's not the right decision. So the last two questions uh, on the Power of Why podcast. So the first one being, uh, what was a resource, a book, a podcast, a person that has really impacted you the most and you feel has led you kind of on the journey that you are right now, that you are on right now? Yeah, so I'm absolutely obsessed with how I built this. Um, yeah. The podcast. The podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason why I love it so much is because you're hearing from these founders talk about the early stages of their business, like when it was like they were getting down and dirty, like it was very difficult hearing their struggle and then hearing how they came out of it. I love, love, love that. I remember um, one of the first ones I listened to kind of on brand was uh, the founder of Men's Warehouse. And he was founding a suit company for men, like back in the age before like e-commerce businesses. So brick and mortar, which is like a whole nother level of complexity. And hearing him talk about like how one day he sold a hundred suits, the next like three weeks he sold zero. And like how he persevered through that when everything was telling him that he should just stop the business. So I love, love, love listening to those podcasts and kind of parallel to that, I go to a lot of um, like founder panels just to listen to other people tell their stories because you just learn so much more from actual people who have lived through things than like me reading like how to run a business for dummies. (laughs) Right, because they're, and especially when they're completely raw and honest about all of those bumps and ups and downs, it's, it's really insightful. And I think it reassures that, you know, if everything was smooth, like I'm probably not doing the right thing, right? Um, Yeah, exactly. Or like something's coming. (laughs) Right, right. And the final question on the the Power by podcast is, tell me, what do you strongly believe that you were meant to do during your time here? That's definitely empowering and uplifting other women. Like simply Mm -hmm. put, that's it. Everything that I plan on doing from now until I die should fit within that purpose or I'm like getting misdirected Mm, thank you thank you so much for uh taking the time to chat with me and being so honest and open about your own story uh building covium i really really appreciate it yeah this is fun thanks for having me